for me, like the idea of having a book was such a lofty sort of goal. Like I was like, who are you to think that you're going to write something that a publisher is going to make into a book and then a bookstore is going to want to sell? You know, it's just kind of like who, you know, it just seems like such a lofty, you know, thing to sort of try and aspire to. So, but if you are thinking of it that way, then you're not going to put in the time and the effort that it's going to take, you know, are you, if you're not thinking it's something that could happen for you, are you really going to give it a hundred percent? Are you really just going to really dig in and devote yourself to trying to make this happen? And so what I told myself was, okay, I get what you're saying, Sherry. (laughs) I get this, but (laughs) I didn't say it that way, but I was like, okay, just give it a year. That's what I told myself. I was like, so give yourself a year and just go all in, you know, like seek out writer groups, you know, join critique groups, write every day, you know, be in that creative world and do it. Give it all you have for just a year. That's all, you know, that's all I asked of myself. And then I said, okay, so after that year's time, you can step back and reevaluate. Welcome back to Chalk and Ink, the podcast for teachers who write and writers who teach. I'm your host, Kate Narita, author of 100 Bugs Accounting Book and fourth grade teacher. Today's interview with preschool librarian and picture book author, Sherry Dillard, will make you smile. Just like Bessie, the main character in Sherry's book, Cowhide and Seek. Sherry talks about how she uses pretend read-alouds to revise her manuscripts, the importance of putting picture books face out so that they're accessible for preschoolers, and the necessity of believing in yourself to make your dream of becoming a published writer come true. Let's get started. Welcome, Sherry. I'm so glad to have you on Chalk and Ink today. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So I was hoping you could get us started by talking a little bit about who you are as a teacher and who you are as a writer. Sure. So I will start by saying how lucky I feel to be working at a preschool. So I'm a preschool teacher And I just think that it is just one of the happiest little places to be with all the little kids that are all just so curious. And they're just, you know, there's lots of celebrating that happens at a preschool. You know, there's lots of clapping and cheering for any little thing. And I I have this funny um, story. I have three sons. And I remember back when they were in high school and they'd come home and they'd be telling me a story and it would be maybe something like some good news that had happened for them that day. And I would still be in preschool mode and I would clap and say, yay. <laughs> to my, my, my teenage sons were like, mom, because <laughs> I was just sort of stuck in that little happy preschool mode. But um, they're used to it by now. So that's just, you know. <laughs> That's just how it goes when you have a preschool teacher in the family. But um, so I've been working at, um, I've had different jobs at preschools over the years. I've been um, teaching, it's been over 10 years. I started as a substitute teacher, just kind of getting a feel for it. You know, I put my name on some substitute teacher lists at preschools in my neighborhood. 
and loved it. And that led to different teaching positions at the uh, preschool where I work now. My main teaching role was in the very youngest classroom. So the little one and two year olds, which is my favorite. I mean, I love all those ages. They're all, they all have really special things about them, but those little one and two year olds is probably my favorite um, to teach. And so I did that for several years. And then our, um, our school has a librarian position. It's actually the, the teacher who oversees our school's uh, book collection and does story times in all the classrooms. So it was maybe three or four years ago, our um, librarian left. She actually took a position in an elementary school and our spot was open and my director knew how much I love picture books and that I love story times and that I was writing my own picture books. And so she offered that spot to me. So, um, and I very happily took it and I've been doing that for about three or four years. And amazing. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. Just I get, I mean, that's what my day is. I just go, we have our school, we have classes starting with the little one and two year old guys and then all the way up through kindergarten. So ages one through say five or six. And I get to go, we have 10 classrooms. So I get to go into all the classrooms every week and do story times. And then as a writer, so I've been writing, um, goodness, over 14 years. Uh, I started in 2006 when I had my idea for my first picture book. And my first published piece was in Highlights Magazine, which was such a wonderful um, treat for me. I love Highlights. I remember reading Highlights when I was younger. And it actually started, it was a writing contest which I really enjoy entering those. And this was one of Highlight's um, contests. And I believe the theme of it was early reader stories. And so I, at the time I had a ton of picture book manuscripts and I went through them and found one that I thought with a little bit of, you know, tweaking here and there might fit that category. It was called um, The Goose Who Gobbled, and it had a lot of repetition in it and a lot of um, words I felt like were, were easy to sort of sound out that might be good for like an early reader type of format. And so I entered it, and I didn't win, but they reached out and asked me if I would be interested in um, having them publish it, which of course I was. Um, so that was my first published piece, and then I did some work for hire nonfiction picture books for the educational um, market. And then my debut picture book came out with Running Press Kids in May of 2019, um, Cow Hide and Seek. Wow, that is great. I love that. <laughs> I, I the goose who gobbled. Like, that's just, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. And I remember thinking, like, when I first you know, was starting to think about writing for children, you know, just that moment when you first see the illustrations, you know, because I'm not an illustrator. And so the stories, you know, you sort of have these images in your head when you're writing. Um, but that was a really fun moment when I first saw those illustrations for that story. It's fun. 
that must have been amazing. And I bet you were just absolutely delighted when you saw the illustrations for Cowhide and Seek. They're so cute. Oh, thank you. I, I yeah, it's funny because I Bessie, the cow in the story, actually looks different than I had imagined her. Like I um and, you know, one of our favorite um when I when I had the idea for the picture book, my kids I have three sons and they were all picture book age and we would just read tons of picture books. And one of our favorites was Click Clack Moo from Doreen Cronin and Betsy Lewin. And so I kind of had that kind of cow, like a really big black and white kind of cow, just sort of in my mind as I, you know, as I was working on the story. But of course I was open to whatever the illustrations, you know, I I was really looking forward to seeing what Bessie would look like. And I remember when my editor sent me some sketches that Jess had come up with and I saw Bessie for the first time, it was like, there she is. It was like, of course, that's what Bessie looks like. It was just, it was one, it was a really wonderful moment seeing her. Yeah. Cause I felt like I, you know, I've been working on that story for years and years. I felt like I was getting to meet her, you know, yeah, for the like first time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was kind of like that. Very special for sure. Yeah. So which came first for you, your passion for teaching or your passion for writing? So for me, um, so writing came first for me. So, um, so back to that time that I, you know, so my three sons, uh, when they were all younger, they were picture book age and we had just moved to this, um, you know, I'm from Atlanta. I live in Atlanta now. And we had at, at the time that I thought of the story idea, we had just moved from Atlanta up to the small central Pennsylvania town, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And, um, we, we lived there about three years and it was during our time there. So my sons were young. It was a sweet little friendly town surrounded by farms. And, um, and we were just, you know, picture books all over the place. You know, we'd go to library story times and we had stacks around our house and just read them all the time. So I was a huge fan of picture books, but I wasn't writing. I wasn't, you know, writing at the time. And I, I had this dream one night um, during our time there. And it was about this, this cow who accidentally left her farm and ended up just creating chaos, like wherever she went. And she didn't know, you know, she's just walking around and she's just in these unusual places to see a cow. So she, you know, like if you were at the grocery store and a cow walked by and cause a commotion. Um, but it was a dream sort of like that. And I just, I thought it was hilarious. And um, it woke me up. It was like two in the morning. And I thought, you know, it was just this funny dream I had and I wanted to share it with my um, family the next day. And I was worried I would forget it. So I got out of bed and found paper and pen and wrote it down so I could share it the next day. And when I woke up and read my notes, I thought this would be a great picture book. And so um, that's the day that I consider that I became a writer actually was when I was reading those notes about my dream and and thought about, you know, started taking notes for the story. So, and then, 
And then for teaching, um, so that came about because of my writing, actually. I, um, we moved back to Atlanta and my kids were growing up and sort of moved out of that picture book age. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to sort of spend time back in that world of picture books and be around the children that I was writing for and the families that I was writing for. And so that's why I put my name on some of those neighborhood preschool substitute teacher list just to kind of be just to be back in that world to be inspired so I, I love how your one interest you know led to the other and I can totally relate to loving that picture book stage I really mourned that when my boys moved I know. <laughs> yes I know it is because I mean that is a special time all around isn't it just kind of sharing stories yeah and I remember reading my manuscripts to my kids when I was little when they were little just to kind of see you know how they might respond to a character or you know kind of get see what they thought about some of the stories I was working on that's so great. I had this, you know, dream of being able to share like a picture book with my sons that I had written while they were on my laps, but my first book <laughs> were six foot what? six foot three inches, so it didn't quite work out that well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> so I'm really curious. So you had the idea, you got up and you wrote it down, and then could you say more about how your writing journey developed from there? Yes. So, right. I, um, you know, one thing that I like to tell people you know, who are interested in writing for children to, um, to seek out other writers, you know, to, so I, I learned, well, actually the first thing I did, um, <laughs> so so in this little small town of Lewisburg, um, one of the first families we met, uh, this young family, they had just moved from Brooklyn to Lewisburg and they were both sort of in that, um, they had this, um, uh, graphic design business that they worked on, but they worked with some children's book publishers. And, um, so here I am. So I haven't discovered SCBWI, you know, I'm just, I just have this idea that I've written down and I actually did these little sketches to the side. <laughs> I had like, <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but I, so I had these like, so I had my manuscript and then off to the side, I had these little sketches of what I envisioned the, the pages might look like with the illustrations. And the very first people I shared that with, other than my families, you know, was this, um, this couple and they had two young daughters and our kids had become friends. And, um, and I just, you know, and that's a big moment when you first share your work with someone, you know, it's, yeah. And so, but I, I really love this couple. And I, I remember I took them the manuscript and asked them if they'd mind just taking a look. And I wasn't looking for anything other than, you know, like, like the husband in particular is one of the funniest people I know. In fact, I had to tell him, you know, like if, if I see you and I just start laughing, like, don't be offended or anything, because I'm just imagining something funny that you're probably about to say. It was like one of those, like those people that just make you laugh because you, you just know how funny they are. And I, 
and then and the wife as well, just super creative. And I just wanted to hear their thoughts. Like, is this something I should pursue or, you know, and, um, you know, and I left it with them and, you know, they got back to me later and the husband said, you know, you know, I think this is really great. Do you, do you um, mind if I share it with an editor that I know? And I was like, first time. Yeah, I was. <laughs> so he sends my little sketch with my like my my manuscript with like my little pencil drawings. <laughs> and I had like I had art notes everywhere. I mean, it was like the opposite of like what you might be told. Like, okay, like if you're going to be, you know, sending off a manuscript to an editor, you know. It was like the opposite sort of of that. But I mean, it's different. It's coming from someone that knows the editor and and I didn't know any better anyway. And I was like, oh, that would be awesome. And it it led to this really sweet kind of back and forth. The editor was a very, um, she was very encouraging and, and friendly and actually offered to take a look at a revision, which was really special for me. But um, anyway, so that was my... <laughs> That was my first subbing experience, which was, um, it, uh, you know, it's really actually I'm really lucky that it was such a positive one, you know, to have that, you know, because then I learned, you know, the form, you know, typically, and that was my next experience was getting sort of the form rejections that, you know, hopefully turn into, you know, getting a little encouraging note and then maybe getting a revision request, you know, it sort of builds on those first form rejections. So it's just all part of the learning process. I think, you know, it definitely is. That sounds like a pretty wonderful first submission experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, and I'd actually kind of forgotten about that story, but, um, <laughs> I'm glad you, you Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so how does teaching affect your writing? Yeah. So, you know, it's really um, both of my, my jobs really overlap, you know, like there's a lot of, you know, like, you know, you hear as a writer, you hear to read in the genre that you write. And so I am reading all the time, you know, like I, I, I like to go to the library. I'll just kind of plant myself in front of, you know, a shelf and I'll just start pulling picture books off the shelf or, you know, so I just read, you know, just looking for picture books to read for my story times. Um, I'm reading a lot of picture books that um, then help inform my writing too. And, and not only am I reading a lot of picture books for my job as a teacher, but I'm also reading them out loud, which is really important for picture book writers. So, um, you know, like I, I'll read my manuscripts out loud uh, and, or I'll have, you know, maybe someone in my family or, you know, read, read it out loud to me just so I can sort of hear things like the rhythm of the story or the pacing of the story, or if there's any moment where they might stumble or find something confusing, you know, reading, reading your manuscripts out loud is a great thing to do. And just reading picture books out loud, I feel like is really important. And, 
And not only that, but I have those little listeners in front of me so I can really see firsthand, you know, like the importance of a really good page turn or, you know, the impact of a fun refrain, you know, that maybe the kids can participate in some way or, you know, I can sort of see, um, you know, how, how these stories, um, are, are connecting with kids like in real time, which is really, that's really been helpful for me as a writer. I'm curious about that. I, I've heard other librarians on the podcast say the same thing, like the specific reaction from the kids to a term page or to a refrain. Do you document when you have when you find a book where there's a specific reaction or or do you just kind of log it in your mind or do you keep track of it in a notebook or something? Oh, good question. I wish I was so organized to be writing a list notebook. But but it does stick with me and um you know I'll you know sometimes what I'll do is you know I'll get a manuscript of my own and I'll read it out loud and I'll imagine that I'm reading it to one of my classes like um like you know and I'll pick a specific class like maybe so and so's three-year-old class or maybe one of the little one-year-old classes or a pre-k class and I'll I'll picture the kids like sitting at the little story time area you know sitting on the rug or on their little benches or wherever the teachers have it set up for story time and I'll I'll read my manuscript out loud and I'll picture because I do this with my story time books too you know like when I'm trying to figure out story time books for the week. I'll, I'll practice reading them out loud, kind of like rehearsing, I guess, in a way. And I'll, I'll try to think of how the kids will respond to a book if I think it'll be a good book for story time. And so I'll do a similar thing with my manuscripts. And sometimes, like, you know, say I have a story about, you know, a dinosaur and, you know, say there's a little, dinosaur fan in one of the classes, you know, I might picture that child's class and I'm reading, you know, my manuscript and I'll think about that child. Like, don't want to disappoint the little dinosaur fan, right? So it's just just really helpful for me to sort of picture some of these kids. And I have have the experience of reading other stories to them and seeing their experience. And I can try and hope you know, that, that my stories might make a similar impact. I love that answer. It's so beautiful. Oh. <laughs> I love picturing you, like, picturing the kids, like, on the stools and the benches. It's just a picture in my mind. Yeah, it's, you know, and I... Um, it's, it's really, I mean, so when I'm doing that actually, and I do have the manuscript in front of me, right? Because I'm reading it out loud and I will take notes actually, you know, I'll, I'll think of something that, you know, like a little, maybe something that I think might be funny. Maybe I'll tweak it a little bit or I'll, you know, I'll make notes on the manuscript when I do that. So you actually read your manuscripts to your classes sometimes? No, like when I'm, <laughs> I've not done that actually, but I, um, but when I'm like imagining, like if I'm working on a manuscript and I'm reading it out loud, 
pretending like the class is there and I'll like imagine a reaction or maybe a point of confusion or maybe I'll think of something funnier that I could say and I'll just make notes on the manuscript at that I love point. That. I've never heard of that strategy before. That's fantastic. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how does writing affect your teaching? Yeah. So um, again, I just love the, the two roles just really inform each other, you know, in different ways. And I think as far as for my teaching, you know, I'm so immersed in that picture book world as an author, you know, like I'll, I'll listen to podcasts um, <laughs> or read a blog post or, and I, I, I've told you I'm a fan of your podcast, Kate. I think these are listening to teachers and librarians who are also writers talk about how they use their books in their classrooms. It's just been so wonderful to hear as a writer, you know, like hearing how, um, and as a teacher. So thank you for doing these podcasts. I think they're really great. Um, thank you for your kind words. I, I have learned so much myself. It's really been a joy. Oh, yes. I can imagine just, you know, sitting down and chatting, you know, it's, you know, we talked about how, you know, just going to writers conferences or being a part of a critique group, just that community with other writers and also other teachers and educators, you know, you can just learn so much from each other, I think. It's true. It's really true. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us about a breakthrough moment you had in your writing. I mean, you've you told us a couple. You've told us about the dream that you wrote down that actually turned into a book, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That great first submission experience you had, which is another dream come true. Oh, seriously. <laughs> you also told us about these incredible breakthrough moments you have by imagining you reading to your students in your job. So what other wonderful strategies do you have that you can share with us? <laughs> well, one um, story that I like to share. So, so I had this dream about this cow, right? So, um, Bessie and in the dream, you know, it's, it's so cows. I just find so charming and cute. I just think they're so fun. And I love, you know, cow humor. Like I think about, I don't know. Do you guys have Chick-fil-A up there? Do you, are you, we do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. My, uh, my younger son's girlfriend is a huge Chick-fil-A fan. <laughs> so like that humor with the cows, right? So the cows, um, or like the far side cartoon with cows, you know, I love like the cows are pretty much in cow character, right? They're not really coming out of, you know, like with the Chick-fil-A commercials, you know, they're real cows. So they're not like drawing or talking, you know, they're just kind of standing around being cows. But there's that hint that maybe something more is going on that we're aware of with these cows, you know, and I love I just think that's so fun. And so and that was the idea with my dream, you know, that this cow was just a cow and she accidentally ends up off her farm and, you know, she's causing all this chaos, but she's, you know, she's playing this game of hide and seek, which I think is funny. And so, so the hide and seek part didn't come in my dream that came about later. And I, I love wordplay 
And somehow that little game popped into my head, cow hide and seek. So I made a note of it and I used it at the, like, so the very first and the very early versions of the manuscript just had that cow hide and seek game at the very beginning. So um, the cows were all hanging out on their farm. It was a typical day. They're playing cow hide and seek. And then, um, you know, Bessie's hiding, her hiding spot starts to walk away. So she's trying to continue hiding. So she's looking <laughs> as, a, as a, and I think it did start in that first, that first, you know, early manuscript stage. I think it was a cat. So Bessie's hiding behind the farm cat and the cat's like, not into the game at all, you know, and walks away. I'm just not interested in playing this game. And Bessie's like trying to keep hiding. So she's, she's behind this cat as it leaves the farm. And so in the early versions, you know, that's what got Bessie off the farm. But then once she was off the farm, that's where the hide and seek game stopped in the story. And so it had her, you know, I had her in these different funny places for a cow to be and she'd end up getting distracted and she'd end up going to these other places. And um, so so as I was working on the story and it's going through different revisions and I have my critique groups and I had different opportunities to have people, you know, give me feedback on the story. And one thing that always, you know, got a lot of attention was that was cow hide and seek. You know, people would, they liked the wordplay. They thought it was funny to think about this very large farm animal trying to, <laughs> trying to hide, you know, and not being very good at it. And so, um, it was like a breakthrough moment for me when I realized that that could be the whole story. So instead of it just being what she's doing at the beginning of the story, um, I thought, you know, that could be, you know, she gets distracted or, you know, she's, she's trying to hide and, you know, people see her cause she's, she's a large farm animal and she's not a great hider, which, um, doesn't matter to Bessie. She still is having fun, but she, you know, people spot her and it's like, they're pointing and they're shouting, there's a cow. And that makes it hard to hide when people are pointing, you know? And so, <laughs> so she has to move on. And so, that moment when I realized, oh my goodness, that could be what draws her through the story. She's looking for the perfect hiding spot. And um, yeah, so that was a big, that was a big breakthrough moment for me, um, that realizing that. That's really interesting what you're saying. So you're saying that you actually made your breakthrough by focusing on the positive feedback you were getting from your critique group versus what you needed to do better. Ooh. Nice. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> because, yeah, you know, that's a great way to put it. And I, I actually am like a feedback. I mean, I just love, you know, I mean, I, you know, I get to a point where it's like, okay, you have to stop looking for feedback. <laughs> you just have to, you know, consider it, you know, done. You know, it's hard to ever consider something completely done, but I do, I love getting feedback, but I do think it takes time to sort of, um, cause you know, the first time you get it at any time you're submitting something for critique or submitting it to an editor or an agent, of course you think it's in good, you know, you think it's in good shape because you wouldn't be sending it out if you didn't think it was. And so sometimes when you get that feedback, you know, maybe initially it's kind of hard 
to hear it because, you know, and that's another thing I think is really helpful. I mean, having, um, but, you know, since I've been writing for so long, sometimes I'll pull out really, really old critiques and, you know, now as a, as a more experienced writer, maybe I'm more receptive or maybe some feedback that I got from an old manuscript, maybe it is resonating in a different way for me. So, um, so sometimes I'll do that. I'll pull out old manuscripts and read them as a more experienced writer. And sometimes, um, that'll be inspiring. That's a fabulous idea. I love feedback too, but I don't pay enough attention to the positive feedback. I'm always oh. focused on, okay, what, what did I not do well and how can I do it better? But, you know, listening to you makes me think maybe I need to, you know, of course still do that. Right. I and mean, that's very important, but, but maybe I need to put some more energy into looking at what is working and why is that working and how can I do more of that instead of how can I make what's not working better? Because maybe, you know, maybe some, something isn't working like it's so badly not working that you can't make it better. But if I could somehow see what's working well and then use that to move forward, it, I think it's a different starting point. That's yeah. I love, I love how you're framing it that way. That's really and, and it even be kind of interesting to go back through old critiques or even a recent critique and just pull something out from it. Right. And that, yeah, I like that idea. I'm gonna go Thank you, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> See how much we learn from each other. Yeah. Tell us about a breakthrough moment you've had in your teaching. Yeah, so um so one okay, so again, so looking at challenges, right? Like we've we were you were just talking about that, like how sometimes it's hard to see um beyond something that might seem like a challenge. Um but so so one moment for that for me with teaching. So it was right when I was um, just starting the role as the storyteller, like the storytelling teacher position. Um, and, you know, my preschool, so the preschool's been around, um, gosh, over 25 years, maybe even over 35 years. It's, it's been around a really long time. Um, and they were in this church building that whole period. It was like this huge church and they had these, this huge part of this one building um, that was just so much space, you know, so there was a, a room for the music class and a room for the science teacher and a room for the library. And it was like this beautiful, huge space with floor to ceiling bookcases and this beautiful window. And, you know, it was just like this lovely space. There were, you know, library hours before and after school and parents would go in. And, um, but right as I was taking over that position, we had learned that the church was selling the building. And so, yeah, it was an emotional time. You know, I had only been there a few years at that school at that point, but, you know, there were teachers that had been there 20 plus years and, you know, teachers that had been parents where their kids had been there, you know, when they were in preschool and it was just an emotional um, time. 
And, you know, in looking for a new space for our school, you know, we really wanted to be close by. It was an in-town, um, in-town area. And, you know, we were hoping to find something close by so we could sort of serve that same community and have a little bit of continuity there and ended up finding this be oh I love our new school. It's like this little red brick um, schoolhouse, but it was a church. Um, and the church, um, I feel like it was this perfect little handoff because you could tell that the church community just loved their space. You know, they took really good care of it. And I think I'd like to think that it might have been a nice, you know, they, they outgrew it. And so, um, I like to think that, you know, the idea that a little sweet preschool is moving into their space to love it and take care of it. Um, hopefully that was a happy transition for them too, as they moved on to a bigger space. But, um, so, you know, we ended up moving into the whole building and there was this nice playground, you know, it was really perfect for a little preschool. Um, but being a smaller space, you know, we had, I think we had, 11 classes at the time. Um, and so we needed a space for all those classrooms and office space. And it was just really challenging trying to um, figure out. So like, for example, um, well, so for like for me and the science teacher, like we each had our own room at the previous location, but there wasn't enough space for there to be like a science room. Like our science teacher had this great big space where she had all these different sorts of bugs and uh, she would love your book, by the way. Okay. I just thought about that. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, she had all these like fun, you know, little, she, she had little animals. She would, you know, hatch little baby chicks and she just had this wonderful science space that classes could visit and families could visit and same with the library. And then in our new location, um, we didn't have those, we didn't have the space to have a separate space for science or for, for the library. And so that was a challenge. And, um, I remember the, so the breakthrough. So I ended up, so first I, I did have a space and like our, we moved into the school building, the bot, the first two floors were finished and the playground was finished, but they were still working on the third floor. Um, and so, but I, I was told I'd have this room, you know, um, up there. And then we ended up needing to add another classroom and the space sort of got taken for different things. So I ended up moving into the space that was just sort of like this big, like, so, so the building was like a maybe early 1920s sort of building. So it had all these really cool, interesting sort of nooks and cranny sort of spaces. And there was sort of a larger little, um, I don't know the, the, technical term for it, but it was sort of a space that was off a main passageway. So it was like people would be walking by it to go to class or to go to make copies or to go to the bathroom. You know, it was a very heavily traveled little hallway with this nice sort of open space right adjacent to it. And that became my library. And so instead of having a door with library hours, you know, and things like that, it became, yeah, I had to sort of rethink how I wanted a library space to work for our school. And I think it ended up being wonderful that 
the space was always open and always available. You know, um, it didn't have hours. It was just, you know, so it sort of, um, sort of informed how I set up the space. And then as well, so kind of taking um, cue from the science teacher who ended up, you know, all of her wonderful science things she had, she ended up just putting them all around the school, which I thought was awesome. So instead of a teacher, you know, or a family, like, hey, let's go visit the science room today. It's just as you're making your way throughout the school building, there's all this really cool stuff to pay attention to. And, you know, so I, I did the same thing with the with the books, and I called them my library branches. So I had my main library branch up on the third floor. And then I had these little nooks of little library spaces and like all around the school, which I, I loved that too, that, you know, anytime you walk by, there might be a book there, you know. So anyway, just sort of having books and story surround the little children. I, I liked thinking of it that way. That sounds amazing. I think you're making some excellent points. We have a lovely library space, but well, this year it's different with the pandemic. We're not using it at right. all. But right. even in a even in a non-pandemic year, the only time the kids go into the library space is once every six school days, you know, for that 40 minutes. But what you're right. talking about, books surround them no matter where they are in the school. Right. And one thing I like to do, especially for the young, this young age group, and you know, we have these little one and two year olds as well. I have this one branch, it's actually on the 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 lower floor, which is where the one and two year old classes are. It's um it's a little um cozy nook. I have a little um some pillows and a little rug in there. But it's um I call it the story time branch. And so I have these story time books that I'll read. So like the month worth of books, right? So say so say this month I'm reading all these books in January. And then in the month of February, all of those books go in that story time branch. And um, so they're there and available. Like I think about these and it's in this little area where kids might be spending time. Like if they're waiting to wash their hands in the bathroom or they're waiting to go into the art class, this little um, story time branch is located in an area where they might find themselves sitting and waiting for something. And so they can go in and the books are there and I have the book cover images on the bulletin board there just to sort of trigger their, you know, like, oh yeah, I remember when Miss Sherry read that book and now the book's there in front of them. And maybe, you know, I sort of think of it as like sort of pre-reading, you know, that they're not reading the words, but they're flipping through and seeing the illustrations. They're remembering the story, maybe that they heard from story time. You know, maybe they're able to linger on an illustration that's particularly interesting to them. You know, that's all just enhancing that experience of having heard that story. And as well, like I'll hear kids walking by and they'll see the image like of a book cover of a book we've read. And I'll hear these conversations about books or maybe a, a little one year old might point to an image of a book that they liked and share it with the parent. And maybe that parent then can ask some questions about the book or maybe check it out from the library or, or have a seat right there and read the book. So um, I just like different ways of sort of 
sharing stories, you know, um, and, and starting conversations about stories, even for kids that aren't necessarily talking yet. <laughs> that sounds incredible. First of all, it makes me want to go to your preschool. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go too, actually. I've been working remotely for the for the last year. So I really miss being in those spaces. <laughs> oh my goodness. So like how many books would you have in that read aloud branch about each month? Right. So, um, so I read two books typically each, each week for story time. And so that would be anywhere from eight to 10. And then I have it sort of set up like, if you liked this book, maybe you'll like these books, you know, so I'll have, you know, so if there was a farm story that I read, maybe I'll have a few other farm books, or if there is a illustrator, you know, that really stands out, you know, maybe I have other books by that same illustrator in there, or, um, or author, you know, like I love, I love, um, letting the, you know, sort of connecting these books and stories to the people who create them, you know, you know, yes, you love the story and here's this person that wrote it. And look, they also wrote this book. So if you liked this story, you might like this story too, you know, so um, just sort of making those connections with books too. So I'll have, so in that branch and the ones that I have displayed, like on the shelf, like face out, um, are the books from story time and then in baskets and, you know, other shelves in that little space, I'll have books that are, have a similar topic or the same author or illustrator. So probably, I don't know, 20 or more, <laughs> which, and I have it set up and, you know, since it's on the little two-year-old hall, it did occur to me that this space could end up, you know, getting pretty crazy, you know, with books everywhere. And so I, but I, I don't, I, I want to encourage, I don't want, I don't want people to think that their child can't be in there looking at books because they're worried they might tear a page or they, you know, I have like this little book hospital basket, I call it, and it's got some tape in there. So if any little accidents happen, you can just tape it, you know, it's okay. And, um, and I have it easy to sort of straighten, you know, like I have a lot of baskets in there. So it's easy enough for the teachers to say, okay, let's put the books in the basket. And it's a, you know, you're not having to really, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to keep the place, you know, kind of tidy. So it's worked out well. I've been really happy with it. That sounds fantastic. I have just mm -hmm. one more organizational question about that. So mm -hmm. You have these different baskets that each pertains to a specific title that you read during the month. Are those books in the basket labeled or do you have the basket itself labeled but not the books or are there no labels and you just rearrange the baskets? You just sort them at the end of the week or something. Right. So so in that branch in particular, that story time branch, it's a small little space and um in that space, I don't have it organized in any way other than to try and keep the books from story time being the ones that are face out on the shelf. But sometimes that changes and that's fine. You know, as kids are putting things away, you know, sometimes I'll see different books that end up taking that shelf face out space <laughs> and that's fine. But it's just, you know, just a couple large baskets. Um, 
so the kids can kind of flip through and easily look for books or, you know, like big sort of wicker kind of baskets. But then in, in the library branch, I have, so I have, um, so one of the things I did, you know, thinking of, um, about the size of a preschooler, you know, all the shelves in that space that are sort of eye level or sort of in um, reaching distance of the kids, I have face up. So books from previous year story times, I have two shelves dedicated to books that we've read over the years and I'll swap those out. So there'll be different books and maybe it's a story time book from three years ago, or maybe it's, you know, just the last year, or maybe it's from a couple months ago. So it's out of the story time branch and it's in the main branch. Now it'll go on that shelf with the idea that maybe as they're scooting through looking, you know, at those books on the shelf that they'll remember something and they'll pull it off and take a look. And then I'll have baskets that are organized by say, um, you know, like vehicle books or, you know, and I'll, and I'll swap those out and I'll label them. And I actually have shelves too, that I dedicate to a, to a particular author and illustrator. And I'll swap those out too. Like say for a couple months, maybe I have Doreen Cronin books there or, you know, whoever, um, Eric Carl books or something and, and I'll have those there for a while and then I'll switch it out and I'll change the label and, and feature a different author illustrator on those shelves. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but it's just sort of like thinking about a child walking into that space and what are they going to see from down, you know, from their height, you know, what's going to come in and, you know, the, the, um, I mean, for me, walking into a space with tons of books on the shelves is wonderful. But like for little kids to see the little side, you know, the little bindings, that's not necessarily going to draw them in. I mean, it might, but to see things face up and to have things in the baskets where it's accessible for them and they don't necessarily need an adult to get a book that they're interested in off the shelf for them. They can just go in and and, and be drawn wherever they're drawn, you know, just. Yeah explore you've totally invited them into the space and made it accessible for them and it makes them feel successful because they want to see right there it's easy for them they're not you know if the if the book is spying out you you would have no idea how to find it you find it on the cover not by the spine exactly right and a lot of libraries that's how they're you know, they are set up that way, you know, where you're sort of drawn into the space, you know, um, which is why I love libraries so much. <laughs> Great spaces. That's beautiful. I have to say, I don't know that I've really been in a library that's set up like that. I don't think I've seen one at least, but I'll have to pay oh, yeah. more attention. Maybe I'm just not, maybe since I'm not tuned into that, I just haven't noticed it, but I will be on the lookout. Well, I will say too, one of the things that drew me, um, or that I was, that I just loved so much about this preschool where I work is that, um, that they dedicate spaces for books. You know, they, they see the value in having a, a book collection and they see the value in having a staff person who that's their job is to do stories and to read books and to take care of the books of the school. I thought that's just really, um, 
wonderful to see that valued as it should be, you know. It should be. It's hugely mm-hmm. important. The school where mm-hmm. I work, we have a librarian, but my sons in the district where I live, they didn't have any librarians until they were in high school. There were no schools. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's pretty amazing that, you know, you're able to offer that at, at the preschool level. And I think right. it should be, I think every, in my personal opinion, every elementary and middle school and high school should have a librarian. I don't think it should be an option nationwide, but right. that's not what's happening, unfortunately. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So how do you balance teaching and writing? Yeah. So as I was saying, there, I'm lucky there's a lot of overlap for me between the two. Just, you know, reading lots of picture books helped me both as a writer and as a teacher. And I'm an empty nester now. So I was talking earlier about my little picture book age boys, all three of them. So they're in college and beyond now. So um, I know my days as a, you know, young parents, you know, there's, um, it's a busy time and I loved that time definitely. But, um, but you do find, you know, once you're an empty nester things, you know, you, you find that you do have more time uh, than you did. But I, um, I've sort of kept with one thing I used to do when my kids were younger, I really enjoyed getting up early, like before the house was awake, you know, I'd get up and I'd make my coffee. And that was when I did a lot of my writing and I still do that. You know, I find, I mean, the mornings are just better for me. I think I'm just, um, you know, more open and maybe have the energy. I don't know. Um, just to do that writing in the morning, but it's been helpful, um, to sort of keep to that routine where I get up and make my coffee and maybe check emails and check a few things and then, um, and do, then do my writing for the day. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. (laughs) Morning. You're, you're a morning writer. I'm a morning writer. I, Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm just like you said, I'm more alert in the morning. I mm-hmm. have more energy. I'm less distracted by other things. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing else has happened yet in the day to take my mind off what it is I'm actually doing. So right. Especially if I'm trying to create, if I'm trying to revive, it's a little bit different. But if I'm actually writing a first draft of something, I have to do that in the morning. So, but even mm-hmm. the revision, I just, I find everything for me is easier in the morning. Right. Yeah. Me too. And I'm, you know, I'm open. You you never know when something's going to strike. Like <laughs> you have to go write it down. But, um, or like when I'm, when I'm running, I think, do I remember, right? That you're a runner. You're run. Yeah. Yeah. I find, um, some, like I'll have my music with me or, um, or maybe a podcast or something, but, um, sometimes I'll just turn that off and just run and just sort of enjoy just being out there and maybe not even be thinking of anything, just kind of be out there running. And then, um, and then something might pop into my head and I'll have my phone with me. So I'll like take notes. I'll like talk into my phone. Like, <laughs> And hopefully I'll be able to decipher what came out of that (laughs) when I get home. 
that happens a lot to me actually on my commute. Um, not, not so much this year because I find myself listening to really loud music to get myself pumped for the day, but in a normal year, a lot of loud music. Yeah. Loud music. (laughs) (laughs) To get you pumped. Good. You know, the anxiety level about teaching in person is a little bit higher Uh, than it has been in the past, to say the least. And so normally I, on a normal year, I would not listen to loud rock music on the way into work, but Mm -hmm. this year I've been doing that a lot. But anyway, on a normal year, it's, it's usually quiet. I like it quiet going in on the way to work and Mm -hmm. usually think about the work day, but sometimes I have a long commute. It's like 45 minutes. So sometimes like you said, I'm not thinking about anything. It's just quiet and ideas will come. So that's, I don't know, that can be a really, I don't know, just a really interesting time in the car. That's true, actually. So when I would drive, so I'm remote now. So my preschool, they are in person, but they are keeping the class in these separate sort of pods, you know, they're, um, and so teachers like me that, that, step into each of the classrooms, you know, we're all still remote, um, which I think is a, that makes sense to me. So, um, so I've been just working um, remotely for this school year, but when I do remember, you know, preschools, you know, I was saying earlier, they're, they're happy places, but they're also, they can be pretty noisy places, (laughs) pretty noisy. And um, so sometimes like when I would drive home, I would just, I wouldn't have any, I turn the radio off, you know, I would just be, just, just have it be quiet. And sometimes I would just drive home, you know, but like, yeah, sometimes ideas would pop into my head during those quiet moments. So the quiet rides in the car, they can be pretty wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's true. So what advice do you have for teachers who want to write who, who aren't writing? Yes. So I do have some advice um, that I actually gave to myself all those years ago, (laughs) which is funny, (laughs) funny to think of it that way. But I'm so glad that this, this thought popped into my head because for me, like the idea of having a book was such a lofty sort of goal. Like I was like, who are you to think that you're going to write something that a publisher is going to make into a book and then a bookstore is going to want to sell, you know, it's just kind of like who, you know, it just seems like such a lofty, you know, thing to sort of try and aspire to. So, but if you are thinking of it that way, then you're not going to put in the time and the effort that it's going to take, you know, are you, if you're not thinking it's something that could happen for you, are you really going to give it a hundred percent? Are you really just going to really dig in and devote yourself to trying to make this happen? And so what I told myself was, okay, I get what you're saying, Sherry. (laughs) I get this, but (laughs) I didn't say it that way, but I was like, okay, just give it a year. That's what I told myself. I was like, So give yourself a year and just go all in, you know, like seek out writer groups, you know, join critique groups, write every day, you know, be in that creative world and do it, 
give it all you have for just a year. That's all, you know, that's all I asked of myself. And then I said, okay, so after that year's time, you can step back and reevaluate. Like, okay, is this something I want to continue doing? Well, I don't even know when that date was that a year came and went, because of course, once you start diving in and you start, you know, you get into that kid-lit world, which is such a wonderful, supportive community of writers and illustrators. And, and once I was in, I didn't even think about not being there. You know, it was like, yeah, I just think you have to give yourself permission, you know, because, you know, and I always tell people to join a CBWI, you know, I, you know and I tell people join critique groups and, you know, but some of that stuff, you know, like going to conferences, you know, you're, you're, you're putting time and sometimes money into the effort. And sometimes it can be hard to think, you know, if it's something you should be doing, but you, you can't let yourself think that way. You have to, you know, and, and that's, that's just what was helpful for me. It was like, okay, you're just going to do this for a year. <laughs> just See how it goes. And then by then I was like, ah, oh, this is just the place to be. This is where I want to be. So. Well, I think that's kind of like running. For me, the first mile is, is <laughs> I'm most likely to oh, oh, that's great. Just get past the first mile. And then once I'm past the first <sighs> mile, I'm in, I'm in a groove. I'm in a zone. And I don't want to stop. So I think that's very similar, right? Don't think about yes. it. Just do it. You know, commit right. to a certain amount of time. And then, like you said, you're into it. You're, you're not going to stop. Or if you did stop, then at least you know. It wasn't for you, but I think it's more likely, like you said, if someone really wants to write and they commit to it for a year, that's it. They're off and running. Right. Exactly. So if it's something that's that's meant for you, something that you're just, you know, drawn to, yeah, then you've found it. It's perfect. I like to say, um, so like pay attention to your attention. Like where is your attention going? And kind of, and, you know, and that can be, um, like, so I'm doing this, um, writer challenge that Tara Lazar, uh, the story storm. Yes. I've always yeah. saying I'm going to do that and I have not done it yet. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. And I, um, and so just today, so it's wrapping up. So it's the month of January. Um, so it's that, um, the idea of each day for the month of January, you're thinking of, a picture book idea, right? So it doesn't have to be like a manuscript. It can even just be a title or maybe the idea of a character or a little piece of wordplay. It can be anything. And then at the end of that month, you have a whole folder of these ideas. And so just today I was going back through and reading through some of my um, previous year's ideas. And um, there's a couple of them that always stand out to me and make me laugh. And I'm like, I need to pay attention to that. <laughs> this is something like, you know, like, and actually there's a story idea that pops into my mind that might've been from one of my very first times doing the challenge that is just so silly. And initially I thought of it as one of those, like, like Tara will tell you, don't worry about the quality of your ideas. This is just about writing everything down. You know, you can work on shaping it later or maybe that you have an idea that you that you end up deciding not to make into a picture book and there was one idea I had early on that I just thought was so ridiculous and it was just one of those like 
rolling my eyes like, uh, this was just such a silly idea. But I always am drawn to it. Like when I go back and read through that, that particular year's idea, list of ideas, it always stands out to me. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to give this some more. <laughs> like if my, yeah, maybe there's, there must be something there. So anyway. Definitely. If you keep going back to it in your mind, you have to explore that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's one writing exercise or activity that you can share with our listeners that they can try in their own classrooms? Yeah. So as a preschool teacher, um, so I know one thing teachers do, you know, with the young age group, but one thing I like to do um, back when I was in the classroom is using songs for transitions. And, uh, you know, you have your cleanup song, you know, it's not any new idea, you know, it's just a, but, you know, we'd have a song like at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day. And as we're, you know, getting ready to go outside or, you know, it's just sort of a nice, um, I had a song I would sing when it was time to, to sit down for snack, you know? So it was like, um, so in the little one and two year old class, they'd hear that song and it wasn't like trying to pull kids away from whatever they were super interested in playing. It was like they hear the song. It's like, oh, and they all stand up and they head to the, you know, they get their lunchbox and we sit down. And so um, when I was teaching in the little one and two year old class, I um, really wanted to have a story time. And so I, I had a wonderful co-teacher and we um so what we decided to do was, you know, we, it was an optional thing. We were in this small little cozy space. And so really the kids could be anywhere in the classroom and still hear the story and hear the songs we were singing. So we didn't want to force anything. And we, we hoped to create a, an environment where they would just be drawn to come over to the storytime rug and listen with us. And so right before storytime would start, it was sort of at the end of the day. So we'd be cleaning up, but we would actually be cleaning up the, the noisy toys, like the music instruments and like the little push toys, like the little popper toys, you know, kind of putting those out of sight, hopefully out of mind. And then, um, but leaving the other stuff, you know, puzzles or blocks or race cars or whatever it was. And then we would sing the story time song. And the, the song that we would sing um, had, you know, a few verses and, you know, there were little hand motions you could be doing. And then at the very end of it, there's a part where the child turns around and then the child sits down. And so, um, so kids, you know, they hear that song and maybe they hurry right over, you know, to, to be a part, or maybe they stay where they are, whatever they wanted to do was fine. Um, but I just loved that, um, you know, the kids like, you know, I could even see like, say there was a, a child maybe playing with blocks and decided not to come over to the story time rug. But then I could see them maybe when we were singing our song that goes with the book we've just read, I could see them maybe doing the hand motions or participating in some way from where they were. Or maybe they'd get to a point in the book where they were like, what in the world? What is going on? And they would just come on over because they could <laughs> like, need to see what illustration, you know. And so I just thought like, especially for the really young kids, like those little one and two year olds to just sort of create sort of this interest in this love of story and try and set up an environment where, you know, it was an optional thing, but hopefully they were encouraged to come over and, you know, and, and that was a really fun moment. Like when we'd have days where parents would come in 
And we would start singing the story time song just to see kids like drop what they were doing and hurry over to the rug to, to read books. I mean, what an amazing thing, you know? So um, that was really fun. And I, I was really glad to find a way to have story. I mean, of course, we're reading books all day long, you know, but to have like a true story time um, for those really young little guys was, was great. Well, also what I hear and what you're saying is you found another creative way to provide choice in your classroom. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying that you have to come over and listen to the book, which is going to be a turnoff, you're saying you're singing, but it's an invitation. You can come join us if you want to, but you don't have to. And I think anytime children feel like they have a choice, they're going to invest more in the activity than when they feel like it's something they have to do. Right. Yep. Exactly. And I, I, um, I love to see, you know, and, you know, sometimes I think kids, you know, when they're working on something, maybe they're even more receptive to story when they're doing something else at the same time, you know, and I, there's all different sorts of ways to enjoy story. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that idea of options, I think that's a great way to put it. That's a good point, too. I hadn't even thought about that, right? Maybe some people listen better when they're actively moving or doing something Mm -hmm. than when they're sitting, you know, and focusing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, just for fun, what are a few books that you that you haven't written that you think every preschool classroom should have? Right. So one thing I like, (laughs) I know how to narrow this. this You what? I know there's so many, which is a great problem to have. Um, but, but I, so one thing I like to do at our school is if there's a book that, um, you know, really stands out for some reason in story time, you know, maybe like there's this one book I'll mention. It's a, it's a new book I just recently re- discovered. It's called, um, Everybody Says Meow by Constance Lombardo. And it's this really, <laughs> I love silly books. I tend to, that tends to be <laughs> what, where I go. And uh, it's this book about this cat and he's all excited. You know, he's got his cat friends around and he's like, okay, everybody. And he's talking to the reader. He's like, this is the time when everybody says meow. Ready? And you turn the page and all the cats say meow. And then peeking around the corner of this page is this little dog. And he says, woof. (laughs) And the cat's like, no, no, no. And so, (laughs) and it's just such a, it's so silly. And so like the kids, it became this thing because like they, they, they quickly caught on to what would happen, right? So what happens? So the cat's like trying to talk this dog into saying meow, but it's a dog. So he says wolf, right? So all that trying to convince him to say meow is just not happening. So he's like, okay, new plan. Everybody says meow. And one guy says wolf, ready? And you turn the page and uh, a different animal's peeking around. So this meow. And then the one guy says wolf. And then it's like, ribbit or whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this cat's trying so hard to make it all work out. And then, and the kids come to expect that, right? They're like, 
they know, okay, ready? Everybody ready? And I turn the page and then there's this little animal peeking around the page. And so that book, and I, you know, I knew when I read it, you know, I loved it. And of course, if the reader loves a book, I think kids totally pick up on that too. And and it'll make them enjoy the book more, uh, most likely. But for some reason, that book, you know, and I, I read lots of funny books, but that book, I had to wait until the laughter died down. It was like, each time I turned the page and there was another little cute animal peeking around the page, you know, all you saw was like from the neck up, this little animal peeking around. And the kids would just, they just thought it was hilarious. And so I told, I told the teachers, you know, I was like this book. And because I love the idea of books that children are familiar with being accessible to them. So then they can turn and they can sort of read the book. Um, on their own, you know, and, and, you know, maybe share it with a friend or, you know, so I always like to, I always like, I'm always interested in those books that really stand out for some reason, like in story time that are even a bigger hit than I thought, you know, and try, and I try to think about that for my own writing too. Like, what was it about that book that just really, you know, the kids really connected to. And the other thing I I like for preschool classrooms are books, um, I'm drawn to books about kindness and empathy. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of social learning that happens at that really young age. Um, a lot of times, you know, for some of the really young kids, it may be their first big experience sort of being outside of their own family, you know, being around kids the same age where they're not the only two-year-old, you know, there's, you know, 10 other two-year-olds there. So I just love books that can sort of show, um, empathy and sort of understanding, um, you know, what other people might be going through. And there's a book that, um, that I love called the rabbit listened by Corey Doerfeld. And it, it has this little, um, child Taylor who, um, is building this block tower and out of nowhere, this giant flock of birds comes his, his block his or her you actually it, it's never said if taylor is a little boy or a little girl which i love that too but little taylor's block tower gets knocked over and taylor's very upset and so all these animals come in and try to help taylor feel better so first a chicken comes over and cluck 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 let's talk 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 about it cluck 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 but Taylor doesn't feel like talking, so the chicken leaves. And then another animal comes in, and it goes through this series of, you know, animals coming in, and let's laugh about it, let's shout about it, and there's all these different ideas. But Taylor doesn't feel like doing any of these things, and so all the animals leave, and Taylor's just sitting there, you know, with, you know, these big feelings, and then doesn't even notice when the rabbit comes in. And the rabbit gets a little closer to Taylor and a little closer. And finally, Taylor can feel the rabbit's warm body sitting right there. And the rabbit listens as Taylor goes through all these feelings. First, Taylor talks about it. Then Taylor wants to laugh about it. Then Taylor wants to shout about it. So all those things that those other animals had all suggested, Taylor's kind of working through all of those things now. And the rabbit is just sitting there listening. And it's just, oh my goodness, I just love that book so much because 
And I think a lot of great conversations can come from that too. Like what ended up working for Taylor was someone to listen, but all the other animals, some of those ideas might work. You know, like if you see a friend that's feeling sad, maybe talking about it or maybe laughing about something, you know, there's lots of different things you can do when you notice a friend of yours is having a hard time. So um, I really like books like that too for preschool classrooms that kind of show that emotions too that everybody has them and you know it's just a part of life um you know and then and then just kind of recognizing when when your friends are having some some difficult emotions and maybe trying to be there for them as a friend that sounds like an amazing book. You just gave me a great idea for my husband for Valentine's Day because that is one of the reasons <laughs> I fell in love with him because he's an outstanding Oh, oh. Yeah, so that's awesome. You. That's a great quality. <laughs> Good listener. Us writers can appreciate that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Sherry. This has been a total pleasure talking with you today. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. And I just can't wait to start going into libraries and just paying more attention in the children's section, particularly, and seeing if they use any of your tricks. So I'm really excited to do that. Oh, thank you, Kate. Well, have a great day, Sherry. You are, so, you are so welcome. And it's just been such a pleasure. Yay, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Kate. <laughs> Take care. care. Preschool, yay, clap. Yay! 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 <laughs> yay. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. <laughs> Take care. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for listening. Join us again on March 5th when Chalk and Ink talks with Rob Sanders, a recently retired fourth grade teacher and the author of fantastic, fun, and fierce picture books. Rob talks about how breakthrough moments happen every day in writing and teaching, if we're open to them. Looking forward to chatting with you again soon.